Okay, I want you to open your Bible with me, and uh, we're going to look into uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to start there. And uh, we've been speaking just over the uh, last couple of weeks. I talk, talked about a particular power, spiritual power, that impacts people, impacts believers, impacts us by shutting down our gifts and operations. And it's a very real power. It's a very real presence. The Bible says that there are spiritual powers in the atmosphere that are arrayed against the church of Jesus Christ. We'd be silly not to actually realize that's a great reality. And the Bible also tells us that there are strongholds, holes inside our life, or there are places of brokenness, sin, or other kind of things where spiritual powers work through our lives to manipulate us. So we need to just understand that. And I share with you, just over a couple of weeks, just about a particular phenomenon called a slumber of Jezebel, where a spiritual power puts people to sleep and they can't see what's going on all around them. Don't see what's really taking place. And uh, I want to today just share with you just about recognizing, withstanding Jezebel's attack. Jezebel was a woman in the Old Testament, but we need to understand that there was actually a spirit power that operated behind her. So it's not about woman, it's about the spiritual power. Call it a spirit of witchcraft. And witchcraft is a spiritual power that seeks to do a number of things. Number one, it attacks your identity, who you are, to try and shut you down so you become passive. When a person experiences a witchcraft attack over them, they may not see what's going on naturally, may be uncertain where it's coming from, but what you feel inside you is a number of sensations. And you can recognize when a spiritual attack is coming very, very easily because you'll feel knotted in your stomach with no apparent reason, feeling of dread, feeling of pressure coming on you, or feelings and thoughts coming in your mind, you don't belong, you get out of here, go, you don't belong, you're not wanted. Those kinds of pressures come out of the spirit realm into our mind and heart. And we can feel turmoil and confusion where you can't think clearly. Your mind just, just doesn't think clearly, or actually you don't even hear things or see things. You just become unaware. And when spiritual witchcraft works against us, it has several goals. One of the things when we look into the Old Testament and look at how this particular spirit power operated, there are a number of things it did, which it still does. The first thing is it seeks to shut down the prophetic flow, the flow of hearing God, the flow of the Spirit in your life. So when Jezebel got ascended into the throne, what she did then was she immediately set out to kill all the prophets of the Lord, to actually come against and shut down prophetic gifting. I have seen prophetic gifting shut down on men of God, women of God. I've seen it shut down in churches. I've seen it shut down even in whole movements. The prophetic flow literally stripped out by witchcraft attack. We should make, have no doubt about it. It is a very real power. God is calling the church to rise up, become apostolic. That means to take a missionary mindset, to take the mindset that you and I are called to be kings, to go and bring influence around us, spiritual influence, natural influence, finance, economics, in the uh, family area, in the political area, every area of community, God is calling the church, rise up and go forth. But you have to be aware when you do that, all apostolic advance faced spiritual resistance. You find in the New Testament, Acts 13, when the apostles advanced, they ran into sorcerers and witchcraft, all kinds of things. Last week we saw how Paul had to confront a spirit of witchcraft which had come not only over the apostles to actually confuse them, but over whole churches to shut down the supernatural and miraculous power. So the apostles or the apostolic movement will always confront and end up in conflict with spiritual power. 
So when witchcraft attacks, it shuts down the prophetic flow of hearing from God. If you don't hear from God and see, you become blind spiritually. Second thing it seeks to do is to remove any godly authority out of their position, out of their place of governance by diminishing their influence or literally overthrowing and displacing them. So a spirit of witchcraft will try and cause a man to feel inadequate for the role of headship in his home and withdraw and become shut down and passive. A spirit of witchcraft operating a business will disempower the business leader, the boss, and will cause them to feel shut down, unable to operate. Spiritual power of witchcraft operating in your life will seek to disconnect you from God, shut down the gifts of the Spirit, shut down the flow of God, and push you out from what God called you to be in, a spiritual positioning. That's why we have to recognize it, because when witchcraft comes against us, if you don't understand what it is and how to stand up and push against it, it will push back on you, down on you, until in the end, you become stripped of the life, the glory, the goodness that God had for you. So when Jezebel ruled in the nation of Israel, when she had influence over it, there was ungodly authority, there was confusion, financial turmoil, drought, spiritual poverty, every kind of way the nation became stripped and it began to serve other gods. So God raised, raised a man called Elijah. And we're going to look today at two people. And both of them came under witchcraft attack. One of them was incredibly, he blew it. He made, he made strategic mistakes. And when he made those mistakes, it cost him his positioning in the spirit, nearly cost him his life. I want us to learn from this. Because the Bible also tells us of someone else who recognized and understood what he was up against and actually positioned himself to win. And I want to show you the difference in approach of the two men. And uh, so we look in the Old Testament. We just look at this verse, first of all, in uh, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. If one fall or they fall, one can lift up his companion. Woe to him is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Verse 12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. So what it's saying is that there is strength in unity. That when you stand together with other people, when you have relationships where you are in agreement and flow and walk together, there is great power and strength in that. And in fact, if something happens that knocks you down, then if you're in relationship with someone else, they can lift you up and together you get a breakthrough. There is tremendous power in unity. When God designed us, He designed us to walk in unity. When sin entered, separation, isolation took place. If you're in a place of isolation, I tell you there'll be sin there somewhere. The Bible says in Proverbs 81, whoever isolates himself is consumed with his own desires, has his own agendas, his own plans. So when people isolate, become separated, you know then, Something has come in. There's something going on that's not really right. So we have a look in the story in 1 Kings 19. I want you to have a look at Elijah. And in 1 Kings 19, now this is a, an amazing story, because Elijah was a great prophet from God, powerfully anointed prophet from God, yet he nearly got totally taken out by this particular spirit. Elijah was called by God to confront witchcraft in the nation. The nation was full of idolatry and witchcraft, that had been brought in when Jezebel married the king. The king was seduced out of his role and positioning. He came under her influence, and the whole nation fell over. The whole nation became passive. 
whole nation became shut down and confusion was everywhere. A spirit of witchcraft was operating. One of the characteristics of that spirit is confusion. One of the characteristics of it is passivity. One of the characteristics of it is ungodliness and unlawfulness abounds. So we read here in uh, 1 Kings 19 that Elijah had stood up to the Spirit. So what he did was he called for a drought on the nation. After three years, he challenged all the prophets of Baal and Jezebel to come out, got, got as many as he could, and all he got were the prophets of Baal, 450. And he said, well, here's a good, and he got all the nation of Israel out, and he said, well, you guys, you sacrifice a sacrifice, and if your God's a real God, call fire from heaven. Uh, but if the Lord is the real God, he'll bring fire from heaven. And so all day, prophets of Baal worked hard and worked up a sweat and jumped and cut themselves because Baal is a God of performance. They tried hard, struggled, nothing happened. At the end of the day, Elijah set up the altar of the Lord, prayed, came to God, confessed the sin of the nation, whoosh, fire from heaven. And with that, the mind of the people become clear. Oh, right, the Lord's God. Yeah, I don't know how we missed that one. And so, man, I don't know, where do we say, hey, whoa, whoa, okay. And then Elijah says, get these guys. They got the prophets about kill 450. So from a ministry perspective, highly successful. Prophets of Baal, zero. Elijah, one. <laughs> Fire from heaven, the glorious day. But there was a little problem in there. There was one part that wasn't quite right, that the king never really repented. And I think Elijah may have got discouraged, but certainly there was an opening in his heart. And then he comes under tremendous retaliation and spiritual attack. Verse, chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all Elijah had done, how he'd executed all the prophets with the sword. Isn't that amazing? So Jezebel sent a messenger, sent a messenger and to Elijah, saying, let the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life like one of them by tomorrow about this time. Or in other words, he said, I'm going to get you, I'm going to kill you just like you killed those prophets. You're a dead man. You're as good as dead. So she came with a murderous spirit, sent a messenger. When he saw that, he rose and ran for his life, went to Bathsheba, which is in Judah, left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, sat down under a broom tree or juniper tree, prayed that he might die, saying, It's enough now, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. And then as he lay, he slept. He fell into a deep sleep, characteristic of people under spiritual pressure who can't see anything and are unaware what's going on. Now, let's just have a look. There are a number of things that happened here. And what happened was, when Jezebel saw that her kingdom was under attack, when God was about to restore the nation, revival is about to take place, she arises immediately with murderous intent. The spirit is murderous intent. Came against him with hatred and murder. The Bible says she sent a messenger. Well, actually what happened was, she got her uh, prophets together, and they did some witchcraft, and they launched demonic spirits against this man Elijah to terrorize him. He literally had a major spiritual attack, a major challenge, threats of death. Quite a big deal, really. He also, she sent a messenger. The many way that messenger comes can come through criticism, can come through gossip, can come through people blaming you, falsely accusing you, all kinds of ways. But behind it is a hate spirit. And when that thing came against him, it affected him very deeply. When witchcraft comes against you, you feel things very deeply. What kind of things did he feel? He felt fear, gripping fear. He felt confused. 
He'd just done this great thing, and now he's in the face of a tremendous attack. He became indecisive about what he should really do. The Bible said, when our heart is set on the Lord and we trust in the Lord, then we dwell safe from all evil. So he became indecisive. He became overwhelmed by looking at what was there. He'd done his best shot, and it looked as though that hadn't worked. He became overwhelmed. He got quite disoriented and disheartened and very lonely in the middle of it all. So when a major spiritual attack comes, you feel very alone. You feel disheartened, feel overwhelmed like it's all too big. And you're afraid of what may happen. Fear of death. Notice it starts off the fear of death and threats of death. It ends up with him agreeing with it and saying, I want to die. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He was threatened with death and he ends up in agreement wanting to die. The spirit that came against him was a spirit of hatred and murder wanting to kill him. In the end, he came into agreement and came under the whole thing and his whole ministry was shut down. I want you to see where he ends up. He ends up under a tree suicidal. That is the power of the spirit. And you notice the steps of progression of how he behaved. He had many of these feelings. You can always recognize when spiritual attack or witchcraft is operating, you feel these feelings of dread, but there's nothing there to see or, 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 or what even you can come up against. You just feel it. You feel overwhelmed. You feel confused, feel pressure, feel loneliness, feel all these kind of things. It's a spiritual pressure, something from the spirit realm pushing against you to reject you out of where God wants you to be. Now, this is what he did wrong. He actually made some bad choices. First choice he made, or the first thing he did, was he yielded to the fear of death. He yielded to that messenger. He gave in to fear. He gave in to the feelings of fear and to the spirit of fear, and he drew back from the role God had called him into. He drew back from the place of the revival uh, he was supposed to bring. He drew back from the place of spiritual authority. He drew back. He began to shut down under the spirit of fear. Second thing he did was he ran for his life ran for his life. When he saw that, he ran for his life. He took flight to save himself. He ran away. He avoided the problem. He withdrew from the challenge, withdrew from the situation, withdrew from the assignment God had given him. When you're under pressure, never withdraw from what God called you to do. Stay in the place God called you to stay. Hold your ground. Let God clarify what he wants you to do. The next thing he did was he isolated. He isolated. He left his servant, verse 3. There is a tendency under spiritual pressure for us to draw back inside ourselves, shut down, and begin to isolate. That means we cut off connection from people. We draw away into a cave. In fact, he ends up in a cave. Where he ended up with physically is exactly what was going on emotionally and spiritually inside him. He was in a cave. Cut off from God. He let go of God in the face of the spiritual attack. Next thing you notice, he lost perspective. He couldn't see the big picture. You can tell that in verse, uh, where is it now? In verse 14, he says, well, I've been very jealous. I alone am left. They're wanting to kill me. So he comes up with this thing constantly. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one on the Lord's side. Comes up with this kind of deal inside. Well, I'm the only one who's serving God. I'm the only one who sees it right. I'm the only one who's on God's side. God has to tell him, listen, I got 7,000 who's on my side. You're not the only one at all. But his, his perspective is totally distorted. When you come under spiritual attack, your perspective gets distorted. You think you're the only one. You think you're very alone. And you begin to start to shut down. Here's the next thing he did. 
he sat down. See, it says in verse 4, sorry, he went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, when you look at where he went, he actually left the region. He left the place he was supposed to be. He was trying to flee out of Israel. He fled completely. He wanted to get out of town altogether. And this is the thing. He was actually leaving the place of his assignment. Isn't that amazing? Left the land. He left Israel altogether. Left the country. He ran as far away as he could get. And then you notice, having yielded to fear, yielded to the spirit, yielded to the confusion, losing perspective, becoming isolated, now notice what happens next. He sat down. Sat down under a tree. The other place you find someone sitting under a tree is Saul in a place of defeat. Sitting down under the tree, place of defeat. Now, one of the things the Spirit does is tends to make people passive. Passive, a passive person is shut down on the inside. A passive person feels they've got no options left except to just withdraw, sit down, do nothing. Passivity is a major problem in our nation. Passivity is across many men in our nation. Passivity sits in many churches in our nation. I go around to many places, there's no vibrant energy and life of the Holy Ghost. There's just people passive, shut down, not alive, dynamic, and forceful in their spirit. Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. You've got to be fervent in pressing in, fervent in prayer, fervent in praise. You've got to have something inside you that when the Spirit gets around you, you shut down, withdraw, and you're just going through the motions. You look like you're alive, but you're dead. You're shut down inside by the Spirit. Horrendous thing when this happens. I've had it happen to me a few times. Made some mistakes. Notice what happens here. It's a, the next thing is, because he sat down under the tree, one of the major feelings associated with this is a deep feeling of being rejected. Pushed out, rejected, unwanted. It comes against you, you feel rejected. Notice here, then he says, he's overwhelmed with hopelessness. He's got no sense of hope for the future. And when he comes to that place, then all he wants to do is die. He's now in agreement with the spirit of death. Now, isn't that amazing that a man of God, like Elijah, who could bring fire from heaven, hold the rain, start the rain going, outrun a chariot, a man of prayer, a man who walked with God, sitting under a tree in agreement with the spirit of death, wanting to die. How on earth did that happen? How did he get there? I'll tell you how he got there. He got there because a spirit of witchcraft attacked him and he didn't adopt the right strategy to win the victory over it. I've seen that happen to individual ministers. I've seen some ministers literally driven out of, the t out of the country, flourishing in other countries because witchcraft came against them to shut the gift down in our own nation. I've seen churches shut down in our own nation, once moved in the Spirit of God, and now I can think of one major church in our nation, they're absolutely gone. At one time, it touched the whole nation. Then it's gone. There's no sign of it. There's nothing left. Just a history. And I've inquired into it. I know what, what some of the things that went on. It was a witchcraft attack, divided people up, separated people. God had covenant to stand together, caused the whole thing to collapse. Next thing you know, the whole thing is gone. I've been uh, working and, and uh, alongside uh, some movements in the nation, and uh, we began to look at some aspects, and we found that a major supernatural dimension of one whole movement of churches have been stripped out, and we can actually identify what it was and when it was, and it's a spiritual witchcraft attack, took out the flow of revelation. This is a really real thing, and it happened to Elijah. Now, I want to show you the good news now. 
I want to show you really good news. Now, what God did was God never abandoned him because he was under it. God just got him to have a good long sleep and rest, gave him a bit of food, took him into a place and start to put anointing back into him, refired him and commissioned him. Now, notice the interesting thing he commissioned him to do. So, see, Elijah was a loner. And God got him out of being a loner, made him connect and actually get into a team flow. He raised up Elisha and he began to flow differently from that point on. I want to show you how the same pressure came against Jesus and Jesus handled it completely differently. I've been under that spirit, attacked me on a number of occasions, attacked us both on a number of occasions. Horrendous thing when it happens. And uh, I've done exactly what Elijah did. I guess there'll be a few people here who've done what Elijah did. Felt knocked in the spirit, felt a blow in the spirit, couldn't work out where it came from. Struggling to stay out, struggling to stay free. Uh, mixed feelings of fear, un insecurity and uncertainty, under tremendous pressure, and then you just begin to withdraw and shut down. I've had my gift shut down at one season of my life. And the terrible thing when your gift shuts down, because what happens is you're shut down. That's why your gift shuts down. You are shut down. You are the one who's the subject of the attack. And when you surrender to that thing, then you are shut down. And you can't flourish and flow. And if God is raising the church to become powerful and to flow in the supernatural, you've got to be able to withstand this kind of stuff. You've got to get the kind of grunt inside you to step up, stand up, be what God called you to be. We don't have to be afraid of this because Jesus has gone ahead and shown us how to beat the thing. And if he's gone ahead and shown us how to beat it, we can beat it. He said, I have overcome. Same spirit in me is in you. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I can show you what to do. So please have a look. Have a look at Matthew chapter 26. We're going to have a look how Jesus handled the same thing. It's also found not just in Matthew 26, it's also found in Luke 22. Luke adds a few more details to it. So in verse 36, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to them, to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. He said, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Second time he prayed, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass me, unless I drink it, your will be done. Then he came and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. They're under a spiritual attack. They slept when they should have watched and prayed. Now he left them and went away again. He prayed the third time saying the same words. Now I want you to pick up just some simple things. Jesus faced an immense spiritual attack. He faced an immense attack by spiritual powers seeking to remove him. He faced in his mind the prospect of death the following day, most horrible death that is known or devised by man, death on the cross, long, lingering pain. So as he went, the Bible says he went to the garden. Luke 22 says it was his habit. He had formed a habit of prayer. So when he's under pressure, his first response, go back to the place of prayer. You need a habit of prayer or you never survive spiritual pressure. You'll remain weak and ineffective, loving God, but not being able to bring forth fruit that abounds to the glory of God. God wants fruit in our lives. Just admire Bill and Glenda and even the face of accidents, they've pressure in their work and everything. Just 
continue to do what God called them to do. Great courage to do that. And so here's the thing that Jesus did. I want you to see how Jesus responded. The first thing is, he refused to draw back from what was in front of him. He refused to draw back in fear. He refused to yield to fear. You have to face what it is that's there, not run from it. The second thing it is, he refused to isolate. Notice what it says. He called his disciples to come with him into the place of prayer. Not all of them, but three of them. He refused to isolate. What did, I, what did Elijah do? Elijah isolated when he needed to have men standing with him. Now, you ought to understand this. Jesus knew that these disciples were immature. He knew that they would run away. He knew they would not be up to the task. Nevertheless, he still drew them in at this moment he needed them. That means it's a principle when under spiritual pressure, under spiritual attack, don't isolate Engage close relationships to stand with you. You notice the next thing he did? He opened his heart. He refused to isolate. He opened his heart. Notice what he said to them in verse 38. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. I am troubled. He said, my emotions are in turmoil. Death is gripping me. All the fears of it around me. I'm feeling the sorrows and the pains of what I'm about to face and what I'm just in the middle of and starting to engage. He shared his feelings and emotions. He shared his struggles with them. How difficult it is for men to share. How difficult it is to open our heart and tell others the struggles and pains we're having and to draw them to stand with us. For men... Men live in a world that's highly competitive. So in, the man's, in a man's world, what happens is to show any sign of weakness or vulnerability is to be declared weak and unmanly. So men tend to want to go it alone. You can't go it alone in this kind of battle. You have to walk in unity. You have to walk with someone else. You have to walk with friends. There's some things we stand in and we've got to grow up in. Uh, and even with friends, there's a limit to what friends can do, as you see in the story. But nevertheless, Jesus, as a matter of principle, brought James, Peter, James, and John, his closer disciples, and he invited them to come with them, and he shared his heart with them. A major strategy when you're in uh, a tremendous spiritual attack is to refuse to back down with fear, refuse to isolate, but engage your friends, close friends, and then share your heart with them. Let them know you're strong. And notice what else he did. He didn't just share. He asked for their support and prayer. I want you to be with me. I want you to watch and pray. And this is the Savior knowing the disciples will run eventually, knowing they're going to fall asleep. Even knowing all those things, he drew them in, shared his heart, and then he asked them and invited them to stand with him. That's a key stra- these are key strategies to beat that spirit. Don't back down. Don't back down. Don't isolate. Don't give in to fear. Engage support from close friends Share your heart, pain, struggles, griefs, concerns, and show them how they can stand with you and be supportive of you. Key strategy that Elijah failed to do. When Elijah isolated, he left himself open to the spirit of death and came into agreement with it. Jesus did not isolate, and he overcame the spirit of death and the fear of death. So what did he do? He poured out his heart. A real difficulty for men to pour out their heart and to open up their lives because of fear. Fear keeps everything secret. What's secret is a place of darkness. The devil can come in around there, the things which are secret. 
uh, pride is a big issue. We want to look good, want to have our appearances, don't want anyone to see us weak and vulnerable. Yet true humility is quite vulnerable, quite open. Shame. When Adam and Eve felt shame about their condition, they withdrew and hid from God. Shame will cause you to hide and run away as well. But God's remedy is not to do any of those things. It's to say to close people, I need you to help me and stand with me at this time. Now what did he do? So we know what he didn't do. He didn't back down. He didn't isolate. He didn't retreat. What he did do was he gathered friends, shared his heart, asked them to stand with him, and showed him how he wanted them to do that. Then he got into prayer. He did not lean totally on the friends. He got into prayer. And so you notice there it says he went a little further. He went further. Everyone else did a little bit of praying. He went further because this is his life, and he needed to personally break through. He went further. The Bible says as he prayed, he was wrestling because everything in him wanted to back off. Everything in him wanted to quit. Everything in him wanted to draw back from dying. And so it was a wrestle to stand his ground and do the will of God, fulfill his destiny. In uh, Luke 22, it says, it says he, as he prayed, it says, it's like he prayed, he prayed in agony or literally he was contending with a spiritual adversary so strongly sweat came off him and it was a huge emotional spiritual ordeal. He literally contended with what was against him. So fervent, strong, believing prayer. In Hebrews 7 or Hebrews 7 verse 5, I think it is, it said, strong crying and tears. He pushed into God to bring an answer to earth. The Bible says in Luke 22, an angel strengthened him. Then he came to the place, Father, not my will, but you will be done. He broke through to the place of rest and confidence in the will of God. And one last thing he did, which is not mentioned here, but which is mentioned elsewhere in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he despised the cross and all the shame it bore. In other words, he kept his eyes set on what lay the other side of the battle. He kept his eyes set on the victory. He kept his eyes set on vision. He kept his eyes set on multitudes of men and women, every nation redeemed. So we see the divine strategy to beat witchcraft. Very simple. Don't back down. Like Winston Churchill, never, never quit. Don't back down. Don't back down to your fears. Don't isolate and withdraw. Don't shut down and become passive. But do draw friends into your life and share your heart and struggles with them and share how they can stand with you. Invite them to stand with you. Even if it's not perfect and it's not complete, it's still a divine strategy. They may not fully understand. They may not fully help, but at least you've drawn them in and done what God said to do. Then stand in prayer. Sometimes the Bible says, having done all, stand. Sometimes you're not going forward, but at least you're not going back. At least you're standing there. That word stand is like a couple of WWF wrestlers and they're in the ring. You know, they get them in the corners and then they rush into the center and they lock like that. And no one's moving. They're waiting for who's going to get the first hold. And that's the kind of thing. Stand. If you're facing pressure, make a decision not to go the path Elijah did and isolate. Not to go it alone. Oh, and it's so easy to do that. Make the decision. That's not going to be my future. I've looked and been had a great privilege this last 
two or three months while I've been fasting. Joy's been standing with me. We've been fasting. We've seen a lot of things. I've actually had a privilege to be able to see what's happened in our lives and the church here. I've seen what's happened in churches around us. I've seen what's happened in churches in our nation. I had a great privilege, a great, great insight into what's happening. And what I see is how spiritual witchcraft in our nation shut down the move of God about a decade ago. And so churches are passive and struggling and weak. Now, there's some great churches in the nation and ask what supernatural is happening around them. Have a look for the miracles. Have a look for the power. Have a look for the deliverance. Have a look for the gifts of the Spirit. Have a look for ordinary people flowing in power. You see, that's what God's wanting to do, to raise up a great people and a strong. But it's no go-it-alone, one-man ministry thing. It's about us, us rising, us standing together, us being together, us being a family, us agreeing together, us being able to be open, us standing up and saying, God, we believe for breakthroughs over these kinds of things. 